Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Thank you're uh, really kind of the perfect person to be talking to um, in this context of like, what does crypto in Asia look like uh, with your, you know, uh, you know, early in your career at kind of the leading uh, VC fund out of, out of uh, China, the first crypto or, or blockchain focused fund um, in Asia really, um, to the corporate side, to your own fund. Uh, can you kind of take us back to your early days at FBS mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of, um, FPS is Petbushi, by the way. Petbushi Capital. For people yeah. who might not know. And, and kind of the early learnings that you had there, I uh, know it's kind of affected your path forward in your career. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Jason Fang. I'm the managing partner at Sora Ventures. I joined the industry in February 2016 uh, um, as an investment associate at Fimbushi Capital. At that time, I managed majority of the equity investment in North America. Uh, moving forward, um, I left the fund in... Uh, mid-2017, kind of like the start of the ICO boom. Uh, reason for that was very simple. Um, you as a private investor could invest in the deals yourself while work for a fund, right? So, and realistically, I joined the industry because I was more fascinated by technology um, than making money. So I ended up working for a portfolio company that actually at that time was Fimbushi's lead portfolio company. We had invested mm-hmm. the most money and was backed by the LPs of Fimbushi. Mm-hmm. Um, they did fascinating things. A lot of uh, encryption and research on really understanding the real use case of distributed technology, DLT, and something called multi-party computation, MPC, which is basically encryption. Um, so uh, fast forward that, um, worked there for four months as kind of their, their head of uh, global business development. So was in charge of mostly kind of like understanding the use case for anything that oversees, like anything to do with blockchain overseas, I was in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Um, really dive deep into understanding the real use case of blockchain, what is actually practical, what is not. Um, and that was actually interesting because um, to some extent, that was a wrong move for every investment, for every investor um, at that time, at that time yeah. right? Uh, the problem w- move was like, you don't know anything about blockchain, blindfold, um, invest in anything that you can, uh-huh. um, as, soon, as fast as you can, as much as you can, and you would have done really well. Yeah. Right. And this is a company in China, in Shanghai, which is kind of the heart of the ICO right. room, really. Right. Was there was there internal pressure to move forward with some kind of token project at that point, or was it was the company pretty? The uh, company was pretty strict. Uh-huh. Um, they dealt with a lot of what we call um, a lot of big players in China who are mm-hmm. in the financial services industry. So the opposite. Um, basically, yeah. 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 So um, for that reason, they couldn't touch cryptocurrency mm-hmm. or digital asset. Um, uh, and more importantly, I mean, the CEO came from a very, they came from um, kind of like the financial tr- traditional industry. So he wasn't, he was obviously fascinated by digital asset, but not to a point that it was, hey, we gotta, we're going we're gonna to work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting enough, they're actually working on something that's very similar to digital asset. <laughs> so you know, the company's called Playton now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, going back to what I said, um, uh, <laughs> end up learning more about blockchain use case, but that was a bad time to kind of really understand blockchain. Um, probably move, uh, probably would have been better if I didn't know so much about blockchain <laughs> and just invested um, as much as I could, right? Um, so regardless, the investments we uh, end up making, obviously, was very profitable um, to the point that we got a lot of interest from family office. 
um, at that time, a lot of people were kind of understanding, okay, this thing is, is actually making money, not only just for individuals, but for entities as well. So family office um, were basically asking us, is like, hey, how can we be part of it? How can we take part in these ICOs? This is mostly family offices in Asia? In Asia. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, at that time, uh, the, there was really not that many ways to invest. You could either go through a, um, a platform, a third party platform, which at that time was called ICOs, uh, platforms you could <laughs> inject money in there ICO age, yeah. ICO 365 exactly yeah. um you just put money in there and then uh you load your bank account and you know in, inside the, the web page and then you start investing to ico uh-huh. and that was basically how it was done were these family offices do, uh, kind of testing it out with no these they didn't they were no. like this is very sketchy <laughs> like pop, they go probably run away with uh-huh. money and um they decided to back out right yeah, um sure. so but then but then i realized it's like hey this means that hey we're um Eventually, there's going to be interest in traditional players, and the lack of compliance means that there's actually interest for um, for basically investing to entities that invest in cryptocurrency, but with proper compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, during the um, during the uh, September, uh, uh, the Chinese government banned ICO, and that was exactly uh, when we launched Sora Ventures. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea was very simple. It's like before Chinese government made any move. Uh, you could basically do whatever you want. Um, but um, after the Chinese government banned ICO, it basically signal um, a fine, defined, but basically a black and white. They basically define what's, what you could do, what you could not, could not do. So that enabled me to basically decide, okay, what we can invest, how we're gonna fundraise, and what we're gonna fundraise in. Um, we end up uh, getting most of our money from family office, um, raised about 30 million USD, um, all in digital asset. Um, so that's why, you know, I, today I still think we're probably the first, um, Asia's first kind of digital asset backed uh, crypto fund. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, and, sorry, just to jump in. So you said digital asset backed as in you took subscriptions into the fund? Yes, in, in digital asset, asset yes. Okay. Um, and at that time you had to realize it's like, uh, if you fundraise in the USD and invest in, um, in basically digital asset at that time, there was really no definition. Like. Um, you'll be investing in things that you really don't know and you'll probably require a license for that right. But if you didn't touch fiat, then there was really no Under any jurisdiction at that time, they couldn't do anything about it right. um, So it's purely peer protection against the investments we're doing at the same time right. fund. Um, but what's interesting is um, at that time there were very limited funds that had uh, fund administrator, fund custodian, um, fund auditor yeah. um, We're probably the first to do that um, and um, that went really well. I mean, that basically set up the infrastructure for us uh, and needed to um, fundraise from traditional family office. Um, and we've been deploying capital, majority of our capital was deployed in uh, Q1, Q2, Q3 of 2008, 18. Um, and then um, in 2000, uh, early this year, we're basically, we had a pretty big transition in the team where we think um, the money is actually going towards secondary market. Um, and so we're, uh, we're basically translating from more from you know investing into ICO more to investing into secondary market. Right, and how do you guys structure? Are you structured as a hedge fund, as a venture fund? As an open-ended fund. Open-ended fund. Yeah, which means it's usually a hedge fund. Yeah, right. which and means that usually you have a very short, relatively short um, lockup. Uh, but at the same time, it means you have the flexibility to have rolling capital. Sure, uh, that makes sense. And in terms of uh, the focus, so you said you move kind of from the primary markets to secondary markets. Um, do you sort of have an overall thesis or overall kind of structure in terms of 
um, how you want to place your bets, like you know, make some investments on cryptocurrencies, some protocols, some exchanges. Yeah. So our fund is pretty straightforward: twenty percent equity and eighty percent token. Okay. Yeah. But within the token aspect, so the eighty percent yes. tokens. About one third our company is gaming entertainment. Um, one third our capital all went into what we call incubator project, which is basically projects that we incubated, we work with basically the company, we help them list, we help them design the token economics, we lead the round, we bring in other investors, um, and uh, we do one project every year. Yeah. The first one we did was Mithril. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and any plans of what's your second one or third one? Alpha slide. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. And what's the third? So you said the first one was gaming entertainment second um, the first one was actually entertainment so that the first one is backed by a company so the the the, the founder he used he was the basically the chairman of a live streaming company called 17 media which is one of the largest software company in taiwan and top their top 10 app on apple um uh, in hong kong japan and taiwan they basically do live streaming no, I, I meant in terms of your portfolio. So you said that you have gaming uh, and yes. entertainment. Yes. Um, you have incubated projects, and then you have other. Oh, okay. So, uh, in terms of the industry focus, like interest yeah. sector, is one third is in gaming entertainment. In terms of the deployment, one third is in um, the incubator project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the remaining, um, in terms of sectors, yeah. uh, we do uh, protocols and layer two. Okay. Yeah. So industry-based protocol. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And in general, is there something that excites you? I mean, more than other stuff at the moment. I mean, you know, we've had uh, kind of, you know, you've gone through the different phases. Yeah. Uh, so we had things like Ethereum, uh, 2015, 2016. You know, we started. Uh, you know, you were part of the sort of phase where apps were being developed. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, of late, a lot of the exchanges have started gathering a lot of attention. In general, is there um, something that you think is going to be um, really big uh, in 2019, yep. 2020. Yep. Um, well, like I said, like our fund is basically transitioned more into a secondary fund, and I think one of the things we're noticing is there's a lot more financial products for hedging against the market. Sure. And this this is very obviously if you're if you were like if you came into industry in 2014 and 2016, you would be 100% long on crypto, right? Yeah. Like. You've seen all the bubbles, all mm -hmm. the little bubbles, and you realize that, hey, all these little bubbles, they're like little pimples, you know? So eventually it's gonna, every bubble is gonna be larger than the other ones. So you just keep shilling and you just keep logging on all these crypto and you just hold, right? Just hodl, hodl, hodl. Um, but obviously 2018 turned out to be a very diff different year. Um, and I think a lot of people realize that, okay, well, even though cryptocurrency has brought a lot of wealth to, the, you know, to a lot of people, uh, people still lost a lot of money, yeah. right? Um, and, and that means that okay, as as an institutional fund, how we gotta we gotta be flexible about things, and how can you hedge against the market, or how can you stay in a more neutral position so that even though you're investing to ICO, eventually you're gonna touch the secondary market. Um, like these token projects will touch the secondary market. Um, how are you gonna be able to exit? Yeah. Right? How are you gonna be able to safe keep your position? Yeah. How are you able to make money in a bear market? Does that mean you use derivatives and you have more traders in your company? Uh, yes. So basically, um, a few things. Number one is uh, the infrastructure in our industry to, in 2018 was relatively like relatively weak. I will probably say that majority of the infrastructure was probably more obvious in, in 2000, um, 2019. Um, obviously, people are still doing that. Uh, people are doing derivatives. A lot of people are still finding ways to do options. Um, you name it, and even and more interestingly enough, I mean, people are 
creating all these exchanges that basically they're able to short altcoin, yeah. the, the, the popular altcoins, yeah. um, especially with kind of like the IEO that's, that's happening. Yeah. Um, which, you know, these are all valid, but obviously um, you as an investor still have to understand who's running these exchanges behind. Like, very, like this, it's very possible that you put your money in, it's just gone, gone, right? It's very high risk that someone's just take your money, um, kind of like Matt Gox, right? Um, so these things you have to be careful, but regardless, there is a huge interest um, a huge need for kind of like traditional financial products to be in the crypto, digital, in the digital asset space. Um, not because I think, um, I think obviously one is because um, as, as a hedge fund or as an open-ended fund, you want that. You want more flexibility to be able to hedge some of your fund assets. Um, and number two is uh, as, uh, as there's more infrastructure in the fund, uh, in, the, in the industry, a lot more players will come in. We're talking about traditional, traditional money. Um, so in, in general, so how do you deal with the complexity of having 20% of your portfolio which is not liquid when you're open-ended? Yeah, stock pockets. Okay. So are, they, are these different sort of entities that you invest out of, the equity investments? or No, we just, no? Like, we just side pocket them. Okay. Do you know what that is? No. Okay, so side pocket is basically very common in hedge funds. Right. Basically, it's a tool that enables side hedge funds to basically separate liquid asset from the liquid asset so that when if an investor choose to redeem, they can only redeem the liquid portion, and they um, you don't count the illiquid portion. Once the illiquid portion becomes mature, then it turns it goes directly to the investor. But this can be uh, this can uh, if this can, is usually over kind of the redemption period. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So and, this could be like in two years or three years. Okay, so that's an horizon for the illiquid yes, stuff. Yes. Yes. But usually your side pocket is less than ten percent, and crypto is slightly higher. Yeah. yeah. Majority of your capital has been from family offices in Asia, yep. and your projects and that you've kind of incubated have been in Taiwan and in, in Asia. Macau. Like the the investments we make in Asia, we usually lead them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so how's how's the you know kind of as you're in touch with these folks, how's the sentiment changed uh, in twenty in just the last three months of twenty nineteen? Is the uh, is are things kind of starting to turn around? We, we we kind of feel sometimes like in Hong Kong, sentiment seems to be picking up a little bit and around. Uh, you know, different places. What's what's the what are you hearing from your uh, family offices? Yeah, um, not gonna lie. Um, one of the hardest thing as a fund manager is really communicating consistently with your investor. I mean, that's true for every industry, but for crypto industry, it's it's hard. It's it's very difficult because traditional family office, you gotta understand these people are probably asking for like ten to twenty percent. Right, and here you are. You can, you can be losing eighty percent of their asset, right? And, and or, or giving them a ten x, or, or giving them ten x, right? <laughs> yeah. Vice versa. Yeah. Um, and that's scary. I mean, for them, it's scary. And yeah. a lot of times, like like even for us, obviously, we we try to be as transparent as possible. That's why we have these infrastructure third parties in place to provide that. And you can't just make up numbers, right? Yeah. But more importantly, is you gotta as a fund manager, you gotta understand that these people don't usually deal with situations like that. Yeah. And for that reason, you gotta be able to explain to them what the situation is, why is it like that, what are we expecting in the next few months, and how are they gonna make my money, money back. Yeah. yeah, I think following up with John's question, so um, your fundraising process, mm -hmm. was it more outbound, or did you have a lot of inbound requests? In terms um, of back then it was a lot of inbound. I understand that we, we were fundraising in late 2017, uh, late 2018. Late 2018? Uh, 17, 17, 17, 17, yeah. 17, 18 yeah. would've been tough. Yeah, well, 18 <laughs> would've been tough, yeah, yeah, 17. And you, where do you spend most of your time now? Mainland China or popping around? Uh, popping around. Mm -hmm. 
about half my time in Hong Kong, half my time in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are, what are you seeing uh, previous company, the uh, more kind of traditional folks running the uh, uh, DLT startup, uh, what are you kind of hearing from that traditional side of China, from like the corporates that yep. you, you've been talking to there? What are, what's their kind of sentiment on enterprise blockchain in China yep. at this point? Um, blockchain is very much though a innovation um, and a big plus to a lot mm -hmm. of um, large enterprise in China. In fact, I think um, a lot of people are still very much interested in it. Um, you know, for example, Baidu. Baidu posted a white paper um, saying that they're going to do blockchain, but with basically no token. But honestly, I think like, to some extent, um, number one, it's um, from any tech company for, for perspective, uh, blockchain, AI, VR are all like what we call innovations. And from, uh, from their perspective, uh, they don't want to miss out. Right? It could be the next 10x. Um, they, could, they could produce the next Google, right? Um, you still want to sell. So uh, we, we understand that a lot of these tech companies are exploring this area. Um, we're seeing a lot more interest companies doing something called reverse ICO, which is um, they may, it's, a, it's an equity company, they may issue a digital asset in a different entity um, as a strategy to help with the equity company, yeah. all done overseas. Um, and um, that's interesting because uh, Coindesk and you know, end of 2018, they posted an article that 2019 will be a year of enterprise tokens. Um, actually, last year I posted an article on Medium, um, basically saying that hey, I think next year or this year, following year, all will all be like basically enterprise tokens. You know, like basically reverse ICO. Actually, all of these tech companies or startups will start going to launch digital asset, which makes sense. I mean, if you look at the models that actually work so far. Is people like finance people who have like platform tokens nowadays platform tokens are making so much money right mm -hmm. and they're not doing any protocol from day one they right they start off with a centralized business model and they move to launch a digital asset and then they try to aim for something that is more decentralized right well that product becomes fully decentralized and more breakable or not we don't know but at least there is clear clarity and like different faces and how they go from you know a centralized um, product into decentralized product yeah. I think more broadly uh, about your funds, you've obviously tried to create a brand name around Sora. Um, is there a particular kind of a brand that you want to create longer term? Uh, yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Like, I mean, the thing is this, it's like Vitalik basically said, um, you know, in San Francisco Blockchain Week uh, last year, that we need to have more products that enables large amount of people to achieve small amount of digital assets. Um, and from day one, that's what we've been investing. You know, a lot of U.S. funds like to invest in infrastructure layer two, but for me, I feel like that's needed. You can build a, you, but but the, but the most important part is you have to invest in people. Like you have to understand that you have to invest in education, you have to invest in people, you got to invest in um, basically the process for from for of converting um, non crypto people into crypto people. And the best way, in my opinion, to do that is doing reverse ICO, which is basically having equity company with existing user base and slowly converting that user base, educating them into crypto holders or digital asset holders and use digital asset to their own benefit, right? Very, very, very similar to what Bitcoin was. When Bitcoin started, no one knew what it was. People just started mining it. Over time, there was the, the purchase of pizza using Bitcoin. Over time, it became more of gold, right? Um, whether that becomes whether the next cryptocurrency is similar to Bitcoin in payment or in you know credits or in gift cards, whatever. Um, my opinion is uh, we try to invest in things that will basically spread the um, the use case of digital assets and 
uh, actually have a real plan to execute this. Cool. Yeah. Is that how you describe what uh, your account strategy was with Alphaslot most recently? Yes. Uh, how's the you know kind of traditional, really not much more of a traditional business in Asia, in Asia than casinos in Macau? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So the idea is this: is like. Casino is one big area that I think if you can get into, you'll be able to get a lot of people to, to really use crypto, uh, cryptocurrency. Um, I think obviously using the terminology cryptocurrency can be quite sensitive in certain jurisdiction. I like to, I like to probably reword to more of a digital asset. Um, realistically, you can present digital asset in front of user um, through a medium like a phone or through a hardware without actually introducing the term cryptocurrency. Um, and that can be done. Um, you can you can have off chain, on chain. It's, it's probably like twenty to thirty percent blockchain, and the rest is off chain. But that's okay. I think I think the the idea here is you don't always have to produce something that's one hundred percent decentralized from day one. And although a lot of projects last year were like full protocols and full decentralization or close to full, you know, decentralized. Um, we like to think stick with things that are more practical. You know, we we think that from day one, if you're going for it, like, you know, basically start something that's fully decentralized, very hard to achieve. But if you start off with a centralized product, slowly work your way into introducing some form of decentralization, whether through the launch of a digital asset or a smart contract, then you're more likely to achieve some form of distribution in your system. And then it, when the time is right, um, explore decentralization. Yeah. That's a good note to end the interview on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Cool. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram, and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.